Plato's Cave is produced by Muckraker Media. You can find out more at muckrakermedia.org. Today I'm speaking with John Rosen. John got his PhD from the University of Massachusetts Amherst and now writes, speaks, and thinks about topics in philosophy. And this was the second conversation I've had with John. He appeared on a previous episode along with Benjamin Burgess, um, where we discussed the topic of free will. But John uh, came back to speak to me today about conversation generally and the current political moment that we're having conversations in, um, which is to say a very difficult one. And John and I spoke about his unique experiences running the Facebook group Fair Game, um, which is a philosophical and political um, Facebook group centered around the idea of fair and open and reasonable discourse. And I really, really loved our conversation today. I gained so much from talking to John, and um, we spoke for almost two hours and it flew by. So I really hope that you um, benefit from listening to this conversation as well. So with that preamble, please enjoy my talk with John Rosen. So today I have John Rosen back on the podcast. Uh, John, it feels like we've talked a bunch of times, but we actually haven't. This is the only time, uh, the only other time we've spoken other than the, uh, the first podcast we did. So uh, welcome back. Well, thanks so much for having me. Really, really happy to be here um, to talk about this, this issue. Yeah, and the issue that we're going to be talking about is conversations, generally speaking, which always is really, really fascinating to me. But we're going to come at it from, I think, two different perspectives that will be useful, I hope, for both of us. Because, you know, obviously all of the conversations that I have kind of are um, like the one we're having now, which is, you know, well, face-to-face but over Skype. And you run a, um, a Facebook group called Fair Game, which has, I think, 730-something members. I just checked before this. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's a lot to keep track of. Um, but basically, just um, for people who might not be aware of it, um, give just like a synopsis of what Fair Game is. Well, Fair Game is a group, uh, a, a Facebook group, uh, that has been set up to facilitate something called civil discourse, uh, that is to say, uh, respectful discussion. Um, now, uh, I'll leave it at that. I mean, we can open up, <laughs> open up that can of terms and talk yeah. about what that even means, and I think that's what we're going to be doing over the course of this conversation. But I think we all have, or at least we all should have, some, let's just say, um, easy or, or, or sort of reflexive grasp on what it would mean to have a respectful conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. We may not have any idea what, what that means, but... That's actually, yeah, it's weird, but it's it's true. I mean, if you think about it, like, I, I you know, I, because I kind of have, like, the two podcasts. I have That's BS and I have Plato's Cave, and we, you know, That's BS is is, like, a show that I'm mostly, we'll have guests on sometimes, but I'm mostly talking to four of my, you know, old friends and our friendship, like it's weird in the sense that it revolves around having like really long, really difficult discussions about really important things. And to be honest, I kind of forget, I don't want to sound like self-aggrandizing, but I forget how rare that is, um, that people talk about that for fun. Well, I know this is supposed to be about 
uh, my, yeah. my group, you have a yeah. philosophy background, right? Or you're, mm-hmm. so maybe yeah. you're a little bit more accustomed to that kind of conversation and you seek out friends who have a similar interest. That's possible. Um, yeah, yeah, that's possible. But I mean, yeah, needless to say, you know, you, uh, you, you have quite a, it, it seems insurmountable, I'm sure at times, challenge with running fair game. Um, and you started it, I think, with the, with the notes you sent me, you started it um, after the 2016 election, right? When you kind of felt hopeless almost about conversations? So I actually started it before. Okay. The hopelessness started to set in before <laughs> okay. the 2016 election. And, you know, to be, to be honest, I've never been quite hopeless. There have been times mm-hmm. when I felt completely overwhelmed and uh, just totally fried running yeah. the and borderline hopeless, but for some reason, this bizarre faith kind of kicks back in again. But I started it in the run-up, actually, to the 2016 election when things started to heat up and my Facebook page started to become, let's say, riddled with a kind of snipey viciousness Mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't even directed towards me, per se, but from one friend to another and on my feed. Yeah. And it was heart-wrenching for me to see people, two people I cared about, being utterly vicious to each other. And I was like, no, this can't, I can't abide this. Something has to change. Yeah. So on my walk, I just thought, out of hell with it. I'm just going to create this group, and there's going to be a set of guidelines. But the bottom line is, we just have to be kind Mm. uh, and, you know, reasonably respectful of each other. So, yeah, Yeah. it was in the lead up, and so it's been almost four years now. It's been uh, three years and about 11 months. Okay, interesting. Just out of curiosity, did you see, because this, this is related to stuff that I want to get to, but did you see, was it sort of a linear growth in the, in the members, or was it like a big jump at first? How, how has it grown? Great question. Um, it's been slow and steady. Interesting. Okay. Um, with churn, a good deal of churn along the way. Um, mm. You know, I started it. I got a hold of a colleague of mine. In grad, I was in grad school at the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, philosophy, studying philosophy. And a fellow grad student, I asked her to start moderating it with me. Mm. So we invited some of our immediate friends. And then it just sort of, you know, there was a little blip at first. Mm-hmm. And then people kind of flaked off. Mm-hmm. And then it's been a slow kind of churning increase over the last four years Hmm. Uh, um, because a lot of people just can't handle it or don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny because I I just asked um, because that answer is funny because that's actually the same kind of growth that I've seen in the podcast. Like it little blip at first and then it churns. Like I'll see people unsubscribe after a while, but, but you know, there's variation, but overall it keeps increasing. And I don't know if that's Maybe because, like, in Fair Game and on my podcast, we tend to do the same thing in that we touch, like, a lot of topics. So maybe someone, uh, this is possible, but maybe someone kind of joins the group because they had an interesting discussion with someone, but then, and they liked that conversation, so they join, but then a conversation comes up where a person, or that maybe that same person disagrees with them, and they're like, fuck it, I'm out. You know, like, they can't, they just can't handle it. Um, I, I'm a little bit reluctant to compare our trajectories. Um, you know, you're running a podcast, so the reasons people might tune in and out are going to be a little bit different. I know in my case, there are many, many reasons why people 
leave. And hopefully, you know, we'll talk about it. Um, yeah. I think one of the main reasons is that people, when they join the group and they're used to a kind of dialogue, they're used to a kind of exchange mm -hmm. that they can't engage in. Uh, they have to abide by these restrictions. And a lot of people just find that unbearable. I mean, it's an, mm -hmm. it, fair game is an unnatural exercise where you <laughs> not lose your cool. You have to stay somewhat calm. Um, and even if you lose your cool, you can't really express. You, bottom line, you can't tell someone to, to fuck off. Yeah, so yeah. That's, the, that's against yeah. rule. Some people just can't help but say that. So... Which is weird because it's not even it's not even that they can't help but say it. It's they it's that they can't help but write it, which is like yeah. an extra step. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's an extra lack of self control. Right. Because like that, yeah. Like writing gives you the opportunity. You can hit backspace. Like you don't have to send the first draft. It's incredible to me. I mean, yeah. it's incredible, and yet it's not. You know, running this thing for four years, there have been some members, very few, mm -hmm. that have made me almost lose my patience hmm. um they usually people who come across as trollish or borderline trollish people yeah. who want to take over conversations or people who just won't take a step back and be a little bit more charitable with other people hmm. i can get frustrated and so i you know there have been times when my fingers have been trembling on the keys literally and at that <laughs> point i usually think all right <laughs> I gotta go for a walk and go down to the coffee shop or something because I can't. Yeah. I'm not allowed to screw up in that respect. Yeah, and and like the rules you referenced uh, are because it's it's kind of almost like a reverse of what people think um, when they hear rules. It's not like you you said in the in the notes that when you were thinking about you know creating the rules and the guidelines for conversations that you wanted it to be like a reverse safe space, which is interesting because if you actually do want to have that you you it requires rules like a safe space kind of has rules but they're yeah. a very very different style of rule <laughs> and and that difference i think is kind of lost on some people because you know it, you know as someone who is on the left of most issues and is progressive i hate the idea of a safe space because you know it's it's counterproductive to the people you know that's trying to protect but at the same time, that doesn't mean you go to the other end of the spectrum and just say, well, no rules, you know, it's just like a lawless free-for-all because then nothing productive happens. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the, the whole formulation of the rules in this group, that in and of itself has been a deeply, deeply interesting process. Mm -hmm. The first iteration of the rules, they were just very sort of simplistic and I guess... I just assumed, I, I, you know, I don't even have a copy of them anymore, but I, they were just, well, I'm not going to try to remember them verbatim, but let's just say they were very simple. Mm -hmm. And I realized very quickly that there were all these avenues of, cha of chaos creation that, um, mm -hmm. that, I, that I had to continue to expand the rules to accommodate. But, you know, the way the group is set up is that any topic is uh, fair game. So you can bring up anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything. I mean, oh, yeah, really bad, the so-called bad or, or um, threatening or, you know, topics that you wouldn't. That a lot of people would be very uncomfortable about talking about have been brought up in fair game. I've seen and, some of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
but the way it's set up is that um, uh, the emphasis is on sort of decorum. It's on etiquette. So, and it, I guess my assumption, which was very intuitive coming into it, you know, I sort of backed into this whole thing without really knowing kind of what was going on as it was happening. But the assumption was that if people just behaved themselves and treated each other with respect, they would recognize good intention mm. and sort of an openness and a welcoming spirit mm-hmm. in the group. And then that would discourage the kind of vitriol and the kind of viciousness that usually takes place in conversations. So someone brings up pedophilia. This came up. This has come up a couple times. And, you know, you have a subject that's that taboo and that can go wrong in so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if there are rules set up where, okay, well, you know, if you're genuinely interested in this topic, then it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, God forbid you've been subject to something like this. Well, here's a space where you can talk about it. So it's a combination of being able to talk about really taboo, really difficult topics, but in a spirit that's supposed mm-hmm. to be conducive to some kind of fruitful exchange, some kind of mm-hmm. constructive, fruitful exchange. That's the idea. Yeah. And it, it, you know, I guess I was a little bit blindsided because, as I think you know, I graduated um, almost a year ago at this point. And I, I had almost kind of happily forgotten about how most conversations go because, as you know, I mean, that's like, it's this almost freakishly weird setup uh, that is a philosophy seminar where it's like, we're going to put forth this absolutely insane proposition and your job is not to just, you know, light it up or just to say like, oh, that's repugnant, we shouldn't talk about that. No, it's to like first understand the position and then it, you know, follows Rappaport's rules. Yeah. Um, and it's so weird. And I, to be honest, it, I, I think I was kind of in your reverse safe space with all of those philosophy seminars where it was, it was safe to discuss any topic, but in a ridiculously tight regimented framework where you just, you, there was literally, you would get a zero on a philosophy paper if you wrote uh, that is against my religious beliefs or that offends me or that goes against my political beliefs or something. There was, and, and this is, I'm, I didn't have this as a question that I wanted to ask, but now I'm curious, did you, because it seems like actually what all of those philosophy seminars had perfectly constructed was basically what you were trying to create your own version of with Fair Game. Did you, how conscious was that um, trying to model a, like a philosophy seminar for you? So I don't know how conscious it was. I think it was definitely subconscious because... Mm-hmm. At that point, um, I wasn't in it taking any seminars anymore. I was, I was, uh, I was working on my um, on my thesis, uh, and I think I missed that kind of intense engagement. I love it, uh, Jordan. It's something I live for. I just adore having extended, clear, non-emotional um, mm. emotions are fine, but I, you know, as long sure. as conversation stays on track and, you know, deep, interesting engagement. I Mm. live for it. So, and this is why I was just getting so frustrated on my Facebook page because I, you know, we have this amazing technology, the first time it's ever existed in human history, where we can have any number of people all over the world focused in real time, talking to each other. And it's mind blowing that this is 
possible. And yet what I saw uh, on my social media was so paltry uh, compared to how great it could be. So I thought, let's try to create something that is sort of a facsimile. I mean, this was what I was thinking without being completely clear in my mind that I was actually doing it. But yeah, I was trying to reproduce that kind of seminar environment mm. um, in a group. Um, and since then, I, I've just kind of been relentlessly pursuing that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to I want to dive into into one thing that you wrote about because it's it's something that I focused on so much too, and it's it's the concept of I think you you said that either it was a concern of yours or people maybe even reached out to you and said that they were concerned that that certain types of people or people who held certain types of beliefs would poison the group. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. My. Oh my God. Okay, so. I'll just be really explicit about it. Sure. Um, so it's a it's a predominantly liberal group. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you know, look, nearly all my close friends uh, are on the left end of the political spectrum. Me too. Yeah. Um, I have grown up in California and Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. you know, the the meccas of American liberalism. Um, I made such a fool of myself in the lead up. To the 2016 election. This was another reason why it was so important for me to carry on with this group. I was I wasn't even going to watch the the election night. Uh, the, I wasn't even going to watch. I was sure there was no way this guy Trump was going to win the presidency. <laughs> and people were saying to me things like, "I'm worried. I'm concerned about this election." And I was saying things like, "No, no, no. Rest assured, I am as confident about the election night result." as I am, that the sun will rise in the morning. <laughs> and it was so embarrassing, humiliating, watching this happen. And I realized that, oh my God, I am completely blind to the population of this country. I really am living in a kind of uh, intellectual and political bubble here. There's, no, there's absolutely no doubt but it was, it was like a hard slap across the face. And at that point, I thought, okay, we need to get people with conservative views in this group. Well, the second I started to recruit people with conservative views, I was told that they were going to poison, by some liberal friends, that they were going to poison the group. And I was stunned by this, by this point of view. Um, they actually believe, and you know, this, isn't, this is not uncommon, but that uh, there is a belief on the left that if you are a Republican, whether or not you support Trump, um, you just have a, your set of political beliefs are fundamentally toxic. Yeah. Um, and so I was warned by people I really care about, you know, very close friends of mine saying, don't let people like this in. Um, they're going to pollute the group. Mm. And my response was. What are you talking about? We have to have these voices. I need to know if for my own personal selfish reasons, uh, I need to know how these people think. I'm genuinely curious. It wasn't just like, well, uh, you know, just sort of an abstract curiosity, mm. deep interest, um, you know, coming from a philosophical background, realize mm. that you're that fundamentally ignorant about something that that's important was uh, very disturbing to me. So yeah, I mean, that has been a, a, a deep criticism that, believe it or not, I keep getting. Hmm. Uh, 
people leave the group. I get ultimatums all the time. Kick X member out. Uh, <laughs> or I, I leave. It happens all, it happens all the time. You, you can't even believe it. Um, and I, I will... I will defend um, not just conservatives, but really anybody who has weird views as long as they're respectful. Yeah. Um, and and just one more piece. So the uh, the percentages is something like, you know, uh, I would say 95 percent of the members of the group are liberal. Mm-hmm. There's a small handful of very brave conservatives <laughs> who speak up and some of them immediately get ganged up on. Yeah. Uh, and it's too bad. And I try to, I kind of pull people off. Let this guy, let him speak. <laughs> um, and they usually hold up pretty well. I have to say, I have to give them some credit. I mean, if I was in a group like that, and every time I spoke up, it said something a little bit provocative, I got mobbed. Um, it would be hard for me to, to last. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So th- that's, you know, when it, this notion of poisoning the group is a term that was, that was used to, uh, that was applied essentially to, I guess you'd have to say right-wing perspectives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, this is, this is honestly something that I struggle with a lot because it's, it's really difficult because, you know, if you, this is kind of like, I've been thinking about this question a lot and I'm really curious what you think, where there's an obvious sense where we totally agree you and I would totally agree that diversity of thought is intrinsically a good thing because you know like you said for at least even for our own selfish reasons I want to understand how these people think right and I and I and I value that and I also but there's a deeper sense where obviously I'm 100 there's a 100 percent chance that i'm wrong about something that someone of x perspective is right about just just mathematically speaking yep however i it's almost like if you want to have a productive conversation it, it doesn't have to be viewpoints that are excluded but it has to be it has to be almost ways of speaking or personalities and the really that have to be excluded and the difficult thing is both on the left and the right, they tend to correlate very strongly with certain positions. So it almost it almost is like a backfiltering effect where you don't want to trim down diversity of thought, but but how wide can your lens be without it's almost like, you know, like the wider the lens, the less zoom you get. I don't know if that's actually like true in terms of cameras, but I think it is. If you want to go really deep and zoom out really far and get a really clear image of something out there, mm. how wide can you leave the lens? And it's it's honestly something that I I don't even have a semblance of an answer for. So I guess one question I'd have for you, if I understood you correctly, you seem mm-hmm. to be saying that uh, manner, the sort of manner of presentation, sort of tracks certain viewpoints that is to say people who have a certain viewpoint tend to present themselves or tend to engage with a certain manner i mean is that more or less what you were saying i you know i think it's it's obviously i don't want to generalize but but sometimes generalizations are true like for instance um we we you mentioned and we want to talk about trolling for instance but that is an extremely sort of libertarian or right-wing phenomenon with my experience at least i'm curious if you if you think differently interesting um huh that might be the case i mean we 
no one can really troll on mm -hmm. fair game successfully. Yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah. That's a whole question unto itself, what trolling is exactly. I, I think mm -hmm. that uh, obviously some of the views that are expressed on fair game that come from the right can seem to liberals to be so <laughs> ridiculous or inflammatory that mm -hmm. the liberals automatically assume that they're trolling or that they're yeah. asking the question or posing the question from sort of an unwholesome or a disingenuous place that is mm -hmm. out genuinely hoping to engage or learn in something. But this is one of the problems and one of the challenges of being in this group, mm -hmm. which is that you have to do everything in your can, everything you can not to impute some kind of unwholesome motivation to the person who's posting. Mm -hmm. You know, there are members in the group who say things about, say, Donald Trump, for example, which to, you know, your average liberal just sound like, well, this person cannot possibly be serious. They must be saying this to, you know, own the libs, as they put it, you know, mm -hmm. to ankle us. And I just don't think that's that's necessarily the case. I mean, yeah. you know, we we're living in a way in two different worlds here. And there are people who have a very, very deep, genuine uh, respect, even awe for a president. They really do. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So they, they and they they watch different news sources and they have a diff different ways they view the world. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I really try to look at, you know, comments or posts from conservative members of the group with the most sort of charitable lens or perspective I can possibly muster. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I have to continuously tell people on the left, like, whoa, back up. You don't know what's motivating. You can't be sure of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I'm not sure, uh, to, to your earlier point about manner of expression linking up with particular views, I, I guess I'm not entirely sure that that, I mean, that might be the case to mm -hmm. some some extent. I don't know. I You know, I there are some people in the group who espouse views that you might think you could not talk about in a very respectful way. Mm -hmm. And they do it in a very respectful way. That's um, true, yeah. Um, and then you have people, you know, one, one thing that's interesting, look at the left, okay? So there's a very strong sort of anti-religious bias that I've mm -hmm. known on the left end. You know, a lot of, a lot of people on the <laughs> left are not only atheists, uh, or non-theists, but almost militantly atheists. Mm. They see religion as maybe the most toxic thing in the world. And they they just roar out of the gate on this one, you know? Um, and I see no reason to be that uh, vituperative about religion. I mean, you can engage, you know, I one of the moderators in the group is a priest. And um, I really value her opinion about about all all kinds of things, and I have mixed views about religion. Uh, I'm not altogether for. I'm not altogether against. I don't altogether reject the existence of God. I don't. I, I'm not a believer per se, but mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. I think these questions are interesting. And but um, but I guess my my overall point is that you'd be surprised what discuss very calmly, and which other topics motivate people to become incredibly um, pompous and demeaning when they discuss them. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing, gun control, right? So 
you get uh, someone shoots up a, a school, right? This comes up on Fair Game. Mm. You might think that the people who are going to reject any proposal to control guns, you might think that people like that won't be able to engage pleasantly in a conversation. One might have that stereotype that a pro-gun, absolutely pro-gun, gun across the board uh, uh, person is probably going to fly off a little bit. Absolutely false. There are people in the group who discuss this topic very, very calmly. There are military veterans in the group who discuss it with intelligence and calm. So uh, it's, it's refreshing. Mm. Yeah. Do you, okay, that, you know what, that, it, it makes sense. And honestly, it does kind of squash some of my concerns because you're right. You know, it's, it's like the generalization almost is a generalization. Um, but okay. So I'm curious though, do you have then, because, because, you know, fair game from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but is set up, um, it, it's, it's, I kind of view it as a very directionless. And I mean that as a compliment mm. organization, mm. right? Like it doesn't have an agenda that's pushing. Um, I know this really baffles people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it might even, you know, in retrospect, you know, this is something I might actually regret. I might, I may live to regret this group. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but as of now, um, I will say definitively that fair game has no political agenda, none. Mm. Um, to have an agenda would bias me and it would bias the other moderators because yeah. we'd be pushing for something. Um, and it would also, um, you know, as it is, the, the small conservative membership feels like fair game is tilted against them. So people will leave the group and say, I thought this was going to be an open and fair place to like discuss views. It isn't at all. This is another liberal echo chamber. And my response is always, actually, it's not a liberal echo chamber. I'm in, I'm in one. And let me tell you something. There aren't any conservatives in those liberals. <laughs> uh, but it can feel that way to some people. And, mm. I, you know, it's, it, it's hard for me because I need to keep kind of assuring them that, at least as far as I'm concerned, running the thing, I'm just there to, to understand and to figure stuff out. Mm. And if I disagree with something, I'll engage and, you know, try to make a point. But I have to keep pulling out, even when I have strong biases, against in favor or against certain uh positions um i have to keep pulling out just to keep checking myself mm -hmm. try to stay clear about what's going on you know there's this there's this woman named uh, julia galaf and she yeah. she does this great ted talk where she talks about scout versus soldier mindset and this is something that's sort of a a guiding principle or a touchstone of fair game, the scout mindset, which I think is so crucial and which I think is getting so horrifically lost in our contemporary American culture where, so briefly the contrast is soldier mindset is when you go and attack mm -hmm. your enemy. Scout mindset is when you're just trying to understand what's going on. You're just trying to see what's going on. And to me, fair game is trying to be kind of a model of scout mindset where we're just trying to get a clear sense of what's going on out there. And I really think very few of us have that clear sense. I don't have it. I, try, I do not have a clear yeah. sense of what's going yeah. on. I'm continuously sort of upgrading my understanding. I'm very slow, honestly, to understand some things. 
So I'm relentlessly questioning all kinds of people and just sort of slowly putting this picture together. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I think scout mindset, almost by definition, can't have a strong agenda outside of just trying to get a clear view of the landscape. Mm -hmm. And her, yeah, and her analogy to that is honestly, like I understood it just by the title but then when she elaborated i was like whoa this is actually a really really good analogy I love, it, yeah. it struck me as honestly banal at first but i was like no no no, this is way deeper than i than i imagined because i mean like the way she put it out is um you know like the the scout you know the soldier kind of might in the heat of battle might sort of wish for things to be the case or he's acting you know very very instinctively mm. and it's all about you know, getting to this goal mm. and and all that matters is the path to the goal. Mm. And it's really interesting because, you know, as she lays out, the scout has all of those sort of concerns neatly dissected out of his or her project where their goal is to as very, very accurately as they can just give the facts because if they get the facts wrong that's i mean that's what matters it doesn't matter if the facts are in or 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 out of favor of of the army it's what are the facts and it's and it's super i think compelling because as she you know as you alluded to and as she talks about we i mean we are we are like the the 300 when we go into war on political issues especially but like religious ones personal ones it is just, I mean, it's a, it's a fucking war every time you have a conversation with someone. We live in a world of, quote-unquote, alternative facts. Yes. Which, the, the first time I heard that expression, my mind just started spinning. And <laughs> I, just, I mean, the audacity uh, of even coining that term. Who, who did that, by the way? Do you know? Kellyanne, I think. Really? Was it Conway? I, I have no idea. I don't know. Facts? Uh, alternative facts. Um, but I, you know, I think that in, a, and this is why my passion for this group continues to grow and why I really do think it's important and why I'm sticking it out in spite of tremendous stress that can sometimes, uh, <laughs> it can sometimes generate. Yeah. Um, we're living in a time right now where things have gotten so hot and people are so passionate and news sources, you never quite know how accurate their representation is, mm -hmm. given the fact that everybody has an agenda. Um, and if you operate on a false sense or an, an inaccurate sense of what's going on, the amount of destruction that can result is just, it's not, it's not just terrible in the sense that it's destruction in and of itself is bad. It's profoundly bad because you're going to battle for reasons that have no merit. Mm. So I think more than ever, we have to be able to sort of sort of ferret through this kind of miasma of media mm. and, you know, sort of slowly kind of corner what's true here. And one way of doing it, and what the reason that I, I love the members of this group so much is they are so intelligent. And they do, they recognize, in, you know, for the most part, their fallibility. They come from a variety of sources. So when we talk about these things, I can get a direct insight into what this person thinks and what this person thinks. And, and it helps inform my own point of view. So 
Yeah, I mean, we're living in a time of, oh gosh, crazyness. It's it's misinformation to the extreme. Yeah. yeah. Um. And oh, uh, you know, it's one thing to read stuff in the news. You it's paused one... for me again. I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you fine. Oh yes. Okay, we're back. Okay, you cut uh, out for a second. What were you saying? What I'm saying is that. So what often happens on Fair Game is there will be a news headline, mm-hmm. and I'll read I'll read the article and I'll think it's interesting. Um, and then someone will post it and there will be a discussion about it. And it's much more interesting to hear how other people in the group chime in, whether the person is a lawyer or whether the person is a sociologist or whether the person is a therapist or you know whatever it's going to be. And to get their insights on it immediately adds all these dimensions to what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps me. It helps me understand, even though I still don't really understand a lot of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And and I want to get to that point that you just th- mentioned um where people come to things from different perspectives. But but the one thing that I did notice also about what you said, you know, before about we're just living in this complete dystopia of information almost mm-hmm. is it's 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 um I thought there was another really cool analogy um between the the scout mindset and where we're at now where the the scout presumably would actually be punished um, if they were wrong, and there is a robust sort of epistemology for finding out if they were wrong. If the scout reports a bridge, you know, on the northern end of a lake or some, you know, northern end of a river or something, and they go and there is no bridge, that is an immediate, robust way of finding out if the scout was accurate or not. Or right. if they reported, um, you know, two, you know, 2,000 uh, members of the army, and there's 20,000, right? And And that's all that you care about. And the thing that honestly is just i mean it sucks about this time is you never i don't think we reach that falsification point as much it's so tough yeah i know know. um but all i can say in response to that is i would prefer to i do think that one can make some progress right Mm -hmm. so yeah like, um, you know, there have been so many amazing situations uh, that have cropped up over the last, Christ, three years. <laughs> so one of the most interesting was, was the whole Covington uh, case. Yeah. Do you remember the thing? I do, yeah. The MAGA hats and the Indian guy. So and you saw that the first shot of it was just the guy, kid standing there with what looked like a smug expression on his face. Mm-hmm. Looking at the American Indian. And, uh, you know, my it, it, initial re- reaction to it was, what a little twerp this kid I agree. Is. Yeah. And, uh, and it's true. I mean, his facial expression, all these things suggested this sort of smug, condescending. But the more angles you looked at it from, mm-hmm. and then you realize, oh, well, they have been taunted the whole time by these, these Israelites. And this is a far more complex situation than I'm not letting anyone off the hook completely. I'm just sure. saying more complicated than it first appeared. Mm-hmm. And I think that what often happens in discussion on fair game is something like that, where you get a snapshot or you get a report of an incident. Mm-hmm. And the more people who chime in on it, it's as if they're adding additional perspectives. And the more you can see, you can begin to eliminate possible interpretations. So even though you may not get to a comprehensively correct interpretation, I think you can move from obviously false to 
less false. <laughs> maybe that's maybe okay. that, it, that it seems to be progress. Yeah. We can go from completely erroneous to mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Which is it's progress of a kind. You're right. <laughs> You're right. It's not it's not what we would want, but it's more than is normally the case. It and the is. other thing, the other thing too, I guess, is it, you know maybe it's it's kind of the beautiful thing about. Um, you, well, you know, obviously you said there are some members who kind of detest the existence of conservative voices, but but for those who don't, I think it's sort of a beautiful thing where, um, you know, you can, it, it actually is like, it's a spirit of, and this goes to the soldier versus scout mindset, a soldier would never offer a weak point, but but perhaps like a scout would, maybe not to the other general, but to his own general, he would say, you know, in in this survey, we saw this or whatever, we saw that. And these are our own weaknesses where that's not a that's not part of a soldier's job. And 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 the thing that might be, you know, that, that you're encouraging in fair game is sort of this. It's like it's this, you know, olive branching where yeah. like. I would be much more prone to admit, just like that I said earlier, that I think maybe trolling is more of a, a common phenomenon on the right. Moralizing, taking things that uh, you know are just are that don't particularly have to to delve into the moral realm and and you know purging them into it, that is an extremely left wing bias, right? And and I would be so much more. I mean, I'm just thinking introspectively. I feel like I would be very readily offering that caveat up and that admission up in something like fair game. And I would never say that on Fox news if I was a guest, you know what I mean? Cause you're enemy territory, you know? Right. Um, so that's, it, that's precisely what we're trying to cultivate. Yeah. Spirit of all mm-hmm. of the Um, I'm someone who I, maybe I'm, maybe people like me are becoming more and more rare in this country, but I, I, the prospect of, say, physical violence, of some have even contemplated a kind of civil war in this country, um, to me that is, that is a horrific prospect. I don't want people to maul each other. I don't want there to be carnage. I don't want there to be violence. Mm. Um, I would far prefer diplomatic solutions to everything. And I think that when two people engage in... Uh, um, in a conversation in good faith um, and with with a modicum of respect it's amazing it's truly amazing how much progress we can make Um, but you have to get to the table you have to say I'm talking to a human being you're someone like me we have similar interests and similar cares which we do which we do Um, so we have to operate from this basic understanding and sympathy and once we can once we have established that right then we can slowly work outwards into more trouble into more troubled waters but yeah i mean it's the olive branch symbol of let's work this out let's Mm -hmm. try to find a way to amicably work these problems out um and let's both recognize our fallibility and our weaknesses which we all should be doing anyways um, and that's how that's how we do it. That's how marriages stay alive. So marriages don't end in divorce. You have to sit down with your partner and say, "Okay, you're in pain. Okay, you're angry. Okay, you're hurt." And I have my anger and pain and hurt. And we sit down and we say, "What do you need? What do you need? Express yourself." 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, and then I do it or your partner does it. And then when you realize you both are into, in want to stay married, and hopefully our country wants to stay married, when Fair Game is working at its best, and it happens enough to keep me going, <laughs> you see people who come from these very different perspectives with very different, um, very powerful convictions. Uh, and they find some common denominator mm. so that they can come to some, just stop seeing each other as complete enemies, right? Um, so if we can just overcome that, we're so much closer to um, a peaceful resolution to, to, to a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, it's, it kind of sounds... Um... It sounds almost kind of pathetically small, but it's it's actually one of the hardest things to do is, I mean, just like basically understanding what someone thinks that differs from you in a way that they would agree to, which is, I think, you know, Rappaport's first rule, which is like, it seems so, it seems so insignificant, like, oh, sure, like you understand them, but then what? No, no, it's like, no, 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 <laughs> that, like, that is the biggest thing, because if you don't have that, what do you have? Like, I know. You know, what you just said is so profound, and hardly anyone really understands what you just said, right? Um, So, you know, John Stuart Mill, um, I I don't know if you've read On Liberty, but he goes on and on about this. And someone shared a a quote from uh, Blaise Pascal with me the other day, who was saying essentially the same thing, that um, if we really want to engage with somebody, the very first thing we have to do is understand where they're coming from, but understand where they're coming from <laughs> is not a merely intellectual exercise, right? Mm. You have to realize that it's not just understanding their position. It's understanding their orientation, their whole sort of psychological orientation. Um, they're coming from a different world. They have a different set of values. You know, Jonathan Haidt is wonderful on all yep. this I don't know if you've read him, but he talks about these moral foundations. I just read The Righteous Mind. Yeah, it's a great right. book. Yeah. Right, right. So so reading him and doing, he's got this thing called the Open Mind Modules, where you take them, and it's just a very sort of user-friendly way of kind of understanding how discourse happens and how mm. different perspectives, how to understand different perspectives. Um, so it's, what I always try to do is put myself in another person's shoes, right? In, in so far as I can understand why their point of view isn't just right or correct, but important to them in a way that I could relate, right? So look, I've had all kinds of erroneous views. I've had erroneous values. If I look back on my past, oh my God, there's <laughs> some embarrassing stuff there. Right? Yeah. Um, it's like, how did I come to think that way? How did I come to believe that way? Well, mm. I don't know. Something stupid led me to that conviction and that attitude. Yeah. Oh, anyone who denies <clears throat> that said really dumb, hurtful stuff coming from a really bad place. Anyone who denies that is either lying or they've been living in, I don't know, uh, another dimension. Yeah. <laughs> Human. Yeah. Um, but once you can ease your way into their perspective, say, oh, okay, well, they believe this because, well, here's what they value, here's what they're afraid of, here's what they cherish, here's what they see as a threat, um, then you can work within that. So, 
instead of vilifying the other person, seeing them as a monster mm. or someone who's, you know, backwards or stupid, right? Which I think a lot of people try to do. You, you, you charitably and sympathetically try to where they're coming. Um, and again, I mean, it's very hard to do, but what it really, what it requires is a kind of moral leap. Yeah. And, and what, what can help with that moral leap, at least in my case, is to look at myself, you know, as maybe a, a, a 16 year old or an 18 year old and think, oh my God, I was that guy. <laughs> yep. I that. I said that. Yep. But I got through it. You know, I learned. I, mm -hmm. I was I was being stupid. I was being insensitive. Um, I, I but I but I but I can still have compassion for that person because mm. that's just the way I turned out. It's like the the wonderful the, the story about Megan Phelps Roper. I don't know if you know her. Yeah, yeah right. She's great. Yeah, great example brought up in that that church and you know the God God hates fags church mm -hmm. brought up with these convictions and then. She was slowly kind of eased out of that way of seeing things. She looks back and sees herself as a girl now. Doesn't hate her. Doesn't hate herself. She's like, this is the world I was brought up in. Yeah. So, I don't know. This is, this is what I keep trying to tell. Well, what I keep trying to encourage people to consider when they're engaging in conversations with people who have views that they see as essentially evil. Mm -hmm. Recognize this the contingency of our circumstances. It just so happened that you were born into these circumstances. It just so happened that these were your parents, that this was your social circle, that this was your religion, that this was your, the political persuasion of your parents. Had you been born under different circumstances, what makes you think you would have developed the same set of views and the same set of, uh, of feelings and convictions? There, yeah. There's no good rational argument you can make um, to support that conclusion. And when you can do that, it becomes easier to recognize and to sympathize, sympathize with other people with different views. It, it's, that's totally it. And it goes, I mean, this, this harkens back to the conversation we had previously about free will, but you know, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, when you, when you kind of do that genealogical work of looking at, you know, what, I mean, obviously I had absolutely no part in the cards I was dealt, but yet I can just see if I'm being honest with myself, you know, obviously these things have shaped the views I have now, or even like you said, I mean, the thing that is way more important than the views, the values that I have now, totally. it's just, I mean, uh, it, it, when you put it in that light and I think it, it's a really humbling thing to do. And I think you know, like more people, I mean, I need to do it more often and more people need to do it themselves is just look at like, wow, I may not have as robust a reason for believing this thing as I think I do. And it's like, you know, I, like you said, I mean, you know, you look back on like, like I look back on shit I did last year and I'm like, I was a fucking idiot when I did that. You know what I mean? And what are the odds that I'm never going to say that about myself again? Zero. 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 Exactly. So right. it's just, I mean, the, the, the project, and this is, it's almost turning the scout mindset inwards is, yes. is, you know, you want to dive in and figure out, okay, what are the things that I'm wrong about now? So yeah. I just don't have to be wrong about them anymore. Right. Right. And, and right. I, the, the, the yeah. tough thing though, I, I, I just yeah, yeah. want to jump in and say, in a way you've just sort of crystallized my fundamental ambition, which has a very selfish 
component to it in running <laughs> fair game. Yeah. If anything, as I said about in the lead up to that election, how can I make sure that I'm not colossally wrong about things as I was about that election and as I've been about many things in the past? Yeah. Being wrong and being, being there's, there's, there are a few things more brutally embarrassing and, and, and mortifying than being sure you're right about something and acting on that. And actually maybe even hurting some people by acting in a certain way mm -hmm. and realizing afterwards that you were wrong, that your actions were being guided by an understanding that was false. Mm. It's a very, it, there are a few. It's brutal. More, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it is. Just, I never wanted, I mean, it's just, oh, it's a horrible thing to, to endure. It, it is. I, I don't know, like when, when you were younger, did you play any sports? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I've talked, I, I have one friend um, who, who does That's BS with me, and we both wrestled in high school. Mm. And that is <laughs> more than any other sport I ever played, full of like the highest highs where you are like, oh, this is what a gladiator felt like, you know, back in the day. Mm. But the shame is so deep and so embarrassing. I mean, you're half naked <laughs> in front of a crowd of like hundreds of people yeah. getting your ass beat on a mat, basically. Yeah. yeah. And and it's it's you know, it's really it's funny because honestly, I don't think I was wise enough at the time to understand this. But but in retrospect, I think that was a really good thing for me to experience mm -hmm. because it and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to draw an analogy, obviously, between something like wrestling and, and what you said, where you can just get, um, you know, this, the, like you said, it's a really painful experience to just be flat out wrong about something and to have it exposed in such a, a, <laughs> you know, confirmable way, like you said, with the election, like you can't, you can't, you can't fake around that. And no. And I think it's just honestly, people, people, you know, this is kind of a benight point, but people are so afraid of failing, but it's actually a really good thing for you to do. Um, and, and like you said, you know, I think, I don't know, well, this, this actually leads to the next question I wanted to ask, but yeah. the thing that I am, am, you know, so appreciative and hopeful uh, about Fair Game with is, um, you know, you, you seemed to kind of cultivate an environment where people sort of bring out their best selves. And I'm, and I'm interested yeah. in exploring that because... Yeah, well, thank you for even saying that. I mean, yeah. that's like the biggest compliment anyone could give about the... I mean, because that has been it's, been... it's very hard to do that. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. impossible. <laughs> it, but, but weirdly, though, we're actually really hackable as like mm. people right it's like it's so you know it's so crazy that the most complicated thing in the universe the human mind can be so hackable as as it's it's like I, I will literally write something totally different to the exact same comment if it's on youtube or if it's on an email mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like if someone if someone reaches out to me um via an email about something i discussed on the show I'm going to take more time reading it. I'm going to give a more thoughtful response and I'm going to be way more charitable if it's the exact same comment. And what I've noticed about mm. uh, places like Fair Game mm -hmm. is that it's, it's almost, it's like a mind hack almost. Like when you know you're in that scenario when, you know, you're not getting points for owning people or dunking on people or exposing people, mm. it kind of just, it, 
it, you know, obviously it doesn't do this all the time, but it kind of flicks off that module of your brain. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what we're trying so hard to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, uh, you know I, I work with six other moderators in the yeah. group who I have the deepest respect for. These are deeply, deeply intelligent uh, people who understand the way this works. You know, military vets, mm. uh, college educators, artists who have all sort of demonstrated over the course of these few years that they just know how to engage um, in this kind of discussion where you're not trying to slam dunk people or shame people or embarrass people. Mm. And um, it's, it's actually a rare skill because we tend to get, when, when we feel challenged, it's very natural to have a kind of reflexive, almost antagonistic defensive response. Yeah. If you can hear the train out here. A little bit, yeah, but it's fine. It wasn't bad. Um, but, uh, but the thing is, what's so great about, as you put it, I think, tapping into people's better nature are two things. And they're both, I think, really, really important. One is when you can appeal to someone's better nature and you can be generous with them and charitable with them, A, they'll trust you more, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll be more forthcoming about their beliefs. Not only that, but they'll do it with, without being quite as defensive, right? So if I'm talking to you about something, right, uh, and I tell you what I believe, I like you, I trust you, I don't think you're going to ridicule me and mock me. You may offer um, a gentle criticism of what I'm saying, or you might say, well, maybe look at it this way. Well, I'll be far more tempted if you approach me in that spirit to consider a different perspective. Yeah. My perspective, in my opinion, changes on fair game all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, so th the first benefit is just when you cultivate that mindset, members are far more likely to um, just kind of explore the space yeah. of their own fallibility right yeah yeah the second which which is almost which is as important to me is that i think that we're constantly engaged in this sort of enterprise of self-discovery and self-knowledge who mm -hmm. are we a lot of us think we know ourselves really well <laughs> some of us don't yeah um and some of us see sort of self-understanding as an ongoing project or an ongoing enterprise one of the ways, if not the best way, I think we do this is through the collision that takes place with different people, right? So when we're engaged in even this kind of conversation we're having right now, um, and I can, you hit me with a question and I can respond and then you respond, well, I can explore different ways of think, seeing things and different possibilities. So, you know, there's something about just the evolution of our own self-understanding mm -hmm. um, that can... Um, that can um, happen, for lack of a better word, <laughs> uh, when we're engaged in this kind of atmosphere, right? So when you were in philosophy courses, you were in a seminar environment where you had a, hopefully a charitable and generous group of people mm -hmm. and you'd explore ideas and I said, well, I don't really agree with you. You say, oh, I guess you're right. I'm gonna change my point of view. Similarly, um, if someone says to me, um, you know, challenges a certain view I have about my own values or my own morals or something like that, if they do it gently in a way that's supportive, I'll think about it. Yeah. And it'll, it'll nudge me. I'll say, oh my God, you're right. I was wrong. I was wrong about that. But that will never happen 
in a group where people are constantly looking to shame and vilify. Mm. Um, and that's the culture we're living in right now. We're living yeah. in a, a culture where people are just so brutal to each other. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's almost like, I mean, you know, this is, this is trivially true almost. Um, but it's, we've, we've, you know, cause I'm 23 and I feel like I was kind of like the last person that just escaped the train of like growing up with social media and mm. all that kind of, all that kind of garbage. Right. Mm. And it's, it's weird because, um, like that just, it wasn't a part of how I grew up. So I almost feel, I don't feel fully integrated with it, to be honest. Like it feels, it's like, ugh, it's this, it's this thing, <laughs> you know, it's not like, it's not like a part of me. Mm. And I feel like it's, that, that's a, and you, and you have this in a note, um, but you know, separating, separating the person from their beliefs and, and you're, you know, you even questioned it, how, you know, how is this possible? How can we yeah. even go about this? Yeah. And it, it almost seems like, you know, we're, we're, um, we're not doing ourselves any favors by having, and I, I probably sound kind of hypocritical here because of like all the, you know, the podcasts I, I do. And, and this is, you know, a fundamental part of who I am, but, but I don't, it's, it's almost like it's, it's not the views that I'm putting forth in the conversations. It's almost like the conversations are mm-hmm. what I really value. And it's weird that we it's weird. And, and this is, you know, I, this is, I don't think this was intentional because I don't think this is just how Facebook works, but mm. uh, people, the, the cool thing about fair game, I guess, is that unless you're really familiar with someone, there's like, you know, 730 something people. So you don't know really if it's a, a, a conservative or a liberal who's commenting back. Right. So, you know, you're just like, Oh, I just kind of, I just kind of have to write back. And it's, it's weird because I don't think that we are creating systems to encourage that right now. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on how to, to move people from the dunking contest to the three hour conversation on your porch over drinks about really hard topics, you know, online, obviously, but (laughs) cause it's tough. What's that? Join my group. Well, yeah, yeah. Or, or some group. Join any kind yeah. of, or, or take a philosophy class. Yes. Right? Or, or immerse yourself in a critical thinking forum where, mm. where you have to, I really think that this is a kind of taste that you have to cultivate because it's, in a way it's, in a way it's unnatural, right? We're emotional and instinctive and intuitive creatures. We lash out. We, we attach ourselves to things we like. We lash out against things we, we dislike. To have to check those impulses, to say, you know what, I'm going to take that part of my nature, this sort of, let's just say, more primal part of, or reflexive or emotional part of my nature, and I'm just going to just set it to the side for a second, right? And just try to have an open mind here, and try to see myself with an open mind. That's a skill that you kind of have to develop. Now, you know, in in grad school, um, I was able to develop it a lot more. Um, but anybody who is engaged in some kind of critical thinking enterprise um, or even a debating kind of, you know, structure um, or even better yet, a therapeutic 
atmosphere where a therapist is saying, well, back up, say what you just said. You know, why, why do you think, what do you think was motivating that? So, you know, it's a combination of recognizing this ability to detach an idea and see an idea for just its kind of, if I want to use a philosophical term, it's propositional content of what it means as a, what kind of truth value it has. Mm. To be able to do that without any kind of emotional investment, okay, is a wonderful skill to be able to develop, right? Because you can make a lot more progress just in a, in a purely intellectual way. But there's also this component of being self-reflective, right? And having the willingness to confront your own inner mess in a way that um, with the openness and, and self-generosity, right? So that you can recognize, oh, here's what I really think about this. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm not too happy about this. Let's look a little bit more deeply into it, try to understand what's underpinning it, what's motivating it. So I would say the combination of critical thinking skills mm -hmm. and uh, a, just a certain kind of reflective uh, uh, disposition will be helpful. And you can find that, I mean, it's very hard to find, but yeah, a philosophy course. Um, a reading group, um, a, a social, uh, civil discourse uh, group, like, like Fair Game, any of these yeah. things. I, I think everybody. I think there's a guy, one of our moderators specializes in critical thinking. He's written papers on it. He teaches it. I think this is, some, this is a skill that should be developed with kids from the very earliest age. Oh, yeah. It, it's so barren from our education system. It's literally non-existent. It's a like, real shame, yeah. Like, I just got through the education system, and it's not there. Like, no. if I didn't happen to, make, like, uh, to, to study philosophy, I literally would have received... Okay, there's some in engineering, but that's, that's pretty special. You know what I mean? Like, in, in K through 12 education, there is literally no time. There are zero seconds allocated to critical thinking. Yeah, I, I, I consider that to be a genuine tragedy in American education. And I totally I, agree. I, I um, Maybe, yeah, I don't know why there, why it doesn't have a place. I mean, at a local high school here, you know, you can take philosophy. A good friend of mine teaches it here, so he doesn't. Um, but, you know, I, I think philosophy as a subject, period, is something that should be taught from the earliest. You know, kids love philosophy. I've got two sons. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, you know, being able to look at philosophical questions in and of itself can foster a kind of curiosity and a kind of wonder and a kind of openness and joy and just pure speculative activity. It's amazing. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would encourage people to do anything like that. Um, you know, I just just one last comment on it's funny there's a i have a friend here who was talking about fair game one day and and she said something like yeah no no fair game is a different kind of thing where she was kind of speaking out loud but okay. to me and to her friend no no fair game is this different thing where you actually have to sort of just look at ideas and sort of you have to kind of step back and just look and it was as if this was you know this was a 50 year old a friend of mine who was regarding this kind of activity as something almost kind of bizarre or exotic or you have to take the idea and see it apart from your own how insane yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's yeah. it that's what we're trying to do but you know it's harder to do than you you know we have triggers i hate to use the word but we really do yeah. even i have them and certain topics come up and i'm like whoa i need to back up i need to back off of this 
and look, try to see it from a distance. It can be very hard to do. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that is, is so insane is that like the, the interactions you have online for the most part, besides fair game, because, you know, I've seen I've seen back and forth spread out way longer than I can even read. I like get to a point I'm like, OK, I kind of see where they're at. I just I don't have like I got to go do something right now. Like I don't have. Yeah. And that I mean, that's a really special thing, too, because like you I mean, what like at most people get one or two series of replies back on Twitter. Like you don't and like you just don't you don't see that very often. I can't stand Twitter. It's oh, it's terrible. I mean, I use it because I I I. I have a love-hate relationship with it because I use it to find really cool people and I've had, you know, guests come on the show from from Twitter, but it's I mean it's it's a mess. It's 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 a fucking garbage dump. It's garbage. Yeah. I mean, I I have, you know, dear friends <laughs> who are on Twitter and who post there and I like reading what they post, but uh, Twitter doesn't strike me as the kind of place you go looking for conversation. Oh god, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, if if you, it is that is the most foolish endeavor to to go on is to actually try to have a conversation on Twitter. I've never once tried to do that. No, no, I've seen people try to do it. Like, well, here's my first chunk, and then you go to the next chunk, oh. and then it's just this is part of the way and the format of it. I, I just don't the two forty characters. It's well, not enough. I yeah. don't know, I, just, I don't understand why they limit you to two forty. This is why I I don't really I have a Twitter account, but I hardly ever post anything. I follow a few people. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, it you don't, yeah. way of beating of kind of getting to know other people who have interesting views. And yeah, uh, I've met some some very close friends on Twitter, uh, interestingly. So, yeah, it's you know, I've benefited from it in a way. So I, I, I kind of skipped over this. Um, I wanted to ask you about this a while back, but you were you were talking about um, the the sort of and we, we just mentioned it a little bit, but the difference between kind of a person and their beliefs and mm -hmm. similarly the objective versus subjective framework mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are there are there any explicit rules in fair game or is it more of sort of a culture you've developed about uh not citing from from personal authority which is different than saying as x i have the insight of y right right because i think those are kind of two different things you can't say you you could say you know as a legal scholar you know, I see this in terms of a tension between these two things where, you know, you might look at it as this. Mm. That's I, I I believe that that's totally fair game to say. But do you have any sort of regulations or is it more of a culture of saying, no, you're really wrong about this. I'm a lawyer and this just wouldn't even pass. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you have no idea how close to home that specific example. Oh, OK. <laughs> right now. Uh, lawyers, by the way, have been, uh, they have an interesting, let's just say, bring an interesting disposition into, into mm -hmm. fair game. I think it's because they're so used to just proving cases. Sure. Um, so I don't have any issue at all, uh, with people speaking from a position of quote unquote authority. You know, there are a lot of people who are, uh, experts in their fields. Yeah. And uh, know way more than, say, I would uh, in virtue of their expertise. doesn't mean they're infallible. Mm -hmm. What it means is that they're far better educated uh, about their topic. And if they want to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a practicing geologist or I'm a, you know, I, I'm, I am, I'm, an, I'm an attorney and I happen to specialize in this kind of law. Thank God. I mean, I encourage people to actually, I mean, mm -hmm. there's that and then there's the, 
well, I am the expert. I am the authority. And that can be, um, uh, let's just say, um, counterproductive to a, a friendly exchange, you know, especially mm -hmm. when you have two attorneys who both claim to be the authority. <laughs> Yikes. Or the so, no, there are no rules against that kind of thing. Um, and usually people in the group who do speak from a position of authority do it in a, in a congenial and respectful way, usually. Yeah. Not you know what's interesting? You, yeah. I, you actually just kind of exposed a tension that I didn't know I had, which is I, I think I'm kind of caught between these two dispositions almost or just or just things that I want to be true where like I, I, I want us to both value expertise more because we've sort of had a death of expertise in the US where, you know, no one's enough of an expert mm. um, to just say like, dear God, just listen to me on this. Like, you know, methane traps heat in the atmosphere. Like, please just take that as a fact. We've had that death of expertise, but then, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you want you want that motto of question all authority to be true. And it's just, I, I think teasing those two things correctly is a really, it's a delicate balance. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think you, you're right. Like I, I asked that question from a framework of one and not both. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I, I, I like that actually, that you so, encourage people to, to, to say their background. Yeah. So you go to the doctor. Yeah. Right? You have a really bad stomachache. The doctor gives you a diagnosis. He says, you need surgery uh, in, in three months. Uh, it seems perfectly reasonable to get a second opinion. Sure. Right? Now, by getting a second opinion, it's not like you're, you think that the first, your first doctor is an idiot. It's not like you're challenging his authority. Mm -hmm. You're just a curious person, you recognize that he may not be, he knows a lot more than you do, so you respect what he has to say. But in getting a second opinion, you're just recognizing that you're better off talking to two authorities who are going to be reflecting on the same case. Mm. So um, there's a way to challenge, to challenge authority while you respect it at the same time. Yeah. That's true. And, and, and also, you don't get the second opinion from an herbal healer. <laughs> I guess, unless you think you've got some great herbal healer who, who has guess, yeah. insight into these things. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, medicine is one of, it's kind of a perfect example to bring up when it comes to this kind of thing, right? That's true, um, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah. Any other <laughs> questions? Yeah, no, I'm curious... I want to I want to dive in because we talked about it a little bit, but it it um the aspect or the the phenomenon of trolling is mm -hmm. really really interesting to so me. Fascinating, I know. Because I I sort of have like an allergic reaction to it. Like yeah. I just it it actually makes me feel physically uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. To to see it, it's just like yeah. ugh, what? Like why are you doing that? Yeah. And yeah. It's um it's fascinating because I, I I and you know I don't I don't see every conversation that happens on Fair Game but I've seen quite a few, and I I haven't seen anything that has struck me as trolling. I don't know if you if you see more of it ha happen than I have, but it seems to be pretty pretty rare a phenomenon. Um, 
I'm looking, I took some notes for this. There is, there is an outstanding uh, podcast uh, that Ezra Klein did from Vox mm. uh, with a woman on trolling, which oh, I interesting. very, very highly recommend. Okay. For some reason, I can't remember her name, but I would just, you know, uh, you know, sure. uh, Google Ezra Klein Vox uh, trolling. Um, and she does just a brilliant analysis, offers a brilliant analysis of what, of what trolling is. Mm. Um, so when it comes to fair game, you know, I, I, it, people often accuse, as I said before, uh, conservatives of trolling. Mm. Um, this is disingenuous. You can't be serious. You're, you're being deliberately inflammatory. Um, here's what's so interesting about this phenomenon to, for me. Mm-hmm. I I even got accused of trolling once. So let's let's use my case, okay? okay? Because it, it was I was stunned by by I was accused by three different fair game members of trolling my home page. Really? Yes. Yes. So um, I posted one. So I'm really interested in the question of faith, of you know what faith is, mm-hmm. of both sort of a religious nature and what uh, Eric Fromm calls rational faith. Mm. Um, and I'm curious just about the phenomenon unto itself. And, you know, there are various thinkers who I've read, uh, Schopenhauer, uh, so I cited Schopenhauer, Kafka, and um, one other author I really like, who made these interesting comments about how um, in order to even live in the world, get up every morning and conduct ourselves as we do, it mm. requires some kind of fundamental faith that, you know, we're not going to, that things are going to go on as usual, that, that mm. an asteroid isn't going to, you know, collide with Earth and we're going to die. So there are these mm. kinds of deep, fundamental kinds of wellsprings of, say, self-assurance that don't have any really fundamentally rational basis. Um, one could argue, one could argue. So in any case, I posted once and I said something along the lines of, um, does, is some kind of elemental faith of some sort required to get by in life? Um, and I posted these three quotations and I was, that was I, trolling. I wanted to make the argument that, that even if you don't think you have any faith in anything that you might be, deceiving yourself and this post was met with such rancor i can't even tell you really yes uh jordan the the animosity towards religion that i've encountered especially Mm. from people on the left end of the political spectrum is blistering and Mm. completely unforgiving i mean to the point where to suggest that they may have some kind of faith, even if it isn't in God, even if it isn't religious in nature, is a it, crime. It's just too much. It's too. Yeah. Um, um, but I actually think it's fine. And and you know there, as I said, you know Eric Fromm writes beautifully about what he calls rational faith. Mm. Um, um, and it, it's not it's not religious in nature, but it it's just interesting. It has a more complex kind of psychological structure. But I was accused of trolling. Was I trolling? Was I trolling? Um, you might say that I, one could argue that I was insofar as I knew or I suspected that some people on the left would be rankled by this post, mm-hmm. right? I suspected it. 
I mean, it was somewhere in the universe of possibility, right? Like, sure. if I really thought about it, if you had said, you know, this post could piss some people off. Yeah. You I'm, knew that coming in. Yeah. What's that? You, you, like, you, you knew that going in. Right? I may have. Okay. This work is interesting. I may have subconsciously yeah. recognized it. Like, if you had asked me right before I posted that, you know, John, you know, if you post this, it's going to piss some people off. You're basically accusing people of being hypocrites about faith. Mm -hmm. And I would say, nah, well, they're just going to have to deal with it. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm really curious about this. Um, so, but look, but three people accuse me of trolling for doing this. Me. Okay. Now, you look at someone on, on the right, a conservative, who's going to post about, um, what's a good example? Climate yeah. change. Climate change. Great. Yeah. Perfect. They know when they post that people on the left are going to go bonkers when they see mm. this. Um, uh, or, or wearing face masks, you know, in the pandemic, you know, yeah. I, I should be allowed to assert my sovereign right not to wear a face mask. <laughs> right. So, so they probably are aware that people on the left are going to go, going to go nuts. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're trolling. I agree. Um, they may completely uh, at the same time have a very uh, sincere and genuine conviction that they're willing to argue for and recognize that in making this claim and arguing for it, they're going to drive liberals nuts. Mm -hmm. But their fundamental, mo see, I, what's interesting is their motivation might even be mixed. There might be an element in them that's going to get off on the mm -hmm. left nuts that in, in some weird way, they're sort of subversively and, you know, secretly owning yeah. the left kind of thing. The problem is that our motivations can be really mixed, and, yeah. and we may not even be fully in touch with a subtly trolling motivation underlying. People on the left do this all the time. You know, the, you know there's, the people on the left in the group are slamming Trump and slamming conservatives, you know, leveling these accusations all the time. And all, often, you know, in, on Fair Game Now, we actually screen posts. We didn't used to screen. Now we screen. There's a, there's a big uh, change that happened. Sometimes I'll get back to a poster and I'll say, look, man, this first line is just incendiary. It's got to go. Yeah. It's fine. But this is a you're, you're putting a dagger in here. You're you know, you're jabbing mm. at the at conservatives. Everything else is fine. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, I didn't mean it. But now, now that I've looked at it. But the problem is that when we enter into these discussions, we can't track all of this sort of elements, psychological elements that are guiding us when we. You know, when we post something, yeah, so it's and to call someone out for trolling often is really unfair. So, so the policy that we that I've tried to uh, that I've tried to cultivate on fair game is this, you know, the principle of charity, right? Mm -hmm. So, and 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 to discourage, you know, quote unquote, mind reading. So, when someone makes a post and you think it's incendiary or you think it's inflammatory, or you think it's an instance of of, of, of trolling. What you're asked to do is just to sort of focus on the claims and attribute mm. to the poster uh, a um, a charitable interpretation in terms of their in terms of their motivation. Um, mm. Just assume, for the sake of the group, that they're not saying this to rankle you; that they actually believe in this, which is a good thing to do because you know there are people out there who really do believe these things and, and are coming from a, a good place. So yeah. it's practice. It's practice in trying to, as you 
as you know, the, 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 to steel man your opponent, to to identify their argument and and look at it in the strongest and most charitable light. Which actually might it might work as sort of a double edged sword because if in fact they weren't trolling, which which I would kind of loosely define as as putting forth something for if not purely inflammatory reasons, maybe that's the superordinate reason. Like that's the primary reason they put it out. Right. Yeah. But yeah. but but so, you know, in because there's two possibilities. A, they 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 did have that intention, or B, they didn't. But it mm. sort of actually works beneficially in both scenarios because if they did then you don't give them the dopamine hit of the reaction they were looking for because it's it would i would imagine it sucks to try to to try to get a you know like just a flying off the handle and someone says you know actually that's a good point i see that this could but but what about you know if you consider that that would have to be so just deflating or yeah or they were serious and in which case you've given them given them a genuine response so i i yeah i think that's a good actual um i think that's a good sort of action metric to to use i love it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it can also i mean suppose they are trolling right and suppose they're just sort of testing out this idea just to see how incendiary it's going to be mm. they may not even know how convinced they are um that that this idea is true yeah. They may not even realize if you can isolate the idea and say, huh, well, let's look at this carefully. They may actually learn something. They may actually benefit from viewing their idea uh, in a different light with some seriousness. Now, look, in some cases, very, very rarely are there instances of obvious trolling. I, you know, I'm not even sure, you know, I'm not even sure that there, yeah, there have been one or two which were obvious. Okay. Ab absolutely, without question, sort of mean spirited and inflammatory, and I, um, I uh, rebuked the poster. I said, you know, there's no way this can lead to a productive conversation, um, and then I just discontinued commenting. Uh, I disabled commenting on that post. Now, uh, since we screen, I would just send a note to the poster saying this is too inflammatory, or that this this isn't. Um, this there's no way this will lead to a fruitful conversation do people when you give that response are people fairly readily accepting of that and do they change it or do they do people ever just not post it oh they just don't post it i mean really okay oh yeah so like just today i've already declined one or two posts uh, for various reasons not not for trolling but you know as a you know this is another thing being a, a you haven't really asked this question about moderation and, and how difficult it is to moderate a group. Yeah. Um, I'm often in this excruciating position where I have to moderate close friends of mine. And I oh. can't tell you how unpleasant that is. I believe it. <laughs> it is absolutely hor horrible. I mean, these are like close friends I go out to dinner with, you know, we pal around with. Yeah. And they'll, I, I'll see that they've posted something, that they're angry and they're reacting against something, right? Mm. And I look at this, and I'm like, I'll, sometimes I'll send them a message. And I'll just be like, dude, come on. What are, why are you doing this to me? Why are you, you know what's going on here. You're putting me in this shitty position where now I have to contact you about this. Or, yeah. you know, or maybe they're thinking, they think I'll just let it through. So, um, but, you know, what usually happens is, you know, I'll send them a note. I'll be like, you know, so-and-so, 
you know, why are you making my life difficult here? <laughs> and they'll say, yeah, I know. I'm just, I had a shitty day today. I'm just beat and pissed off about everything. So 99% of the time, they'll cop to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all do. We all have that, the impulse, right? Um, but, but there is a 1% where they will get very angry. They'll leave the group. They'll stomp out. They'll insult me. Um, they'll call me names. They'll say I'm being a discriminatory. They'll, they'll say I'm being biased. Um, they'll cite other examples where you let this person through and that person through. Why don't you? Um, but that doesn't happen enough to make my hair <laughs> fall out any faster than it already is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's, yeah, I've it's got very the quarantine difficult. cut too. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, you know, I've lost, I have lost some dear friends, or I may have lost some dear friends over this group, I have to say, mm-hmm. uh, because I've, you know, I've been accused of, as they say, platforming fascism, yeah. uh, being complicit with, with, with dangerous views, with dangerous people. Um, and, you know, there's a certain segment on the left that believes that, you know, if you have certain views, you should not be allowed, you should not be given any platform whatsoever to express those views. Um, and look, I mean, I can understand where they're coming from, and I can recognize the toxic, toxicity, tox, toxicity, yep. toxicity yeah. of, of views, and I can understand why they can be hurtful and harmful. Um, but I refuse to budge on this point. I just won't budge. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I, again, I'm with, with, uh, John Stuart Mill and with, and with other people uh, on this, on this view where I think better to have these views exposed, better to discuss them, better to subject them to, you know, uh, what was it Brandeis who said the, the sun is the best dis- disinfectant, uh, that is to say you air out these views and you just hit them with, you know, arguments or refutation, uh, and you work through them. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty hardcore on this free speech end of things. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got on. Oh yeah. When it comes to moderation, moderation. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's honestly fascinating. You're right. I didn't, it was funny. I, I was coming at it from sort of a member perspective because obviously that's my perspective, but I, I do not envy the task of, uh, of moderating that group. <laughs> Oh which God. which is probably easier than most groups, actually. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, no one wants to be moderated. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. And, you know, these are people I really care about. You know, people who I really value. And it's like, okay, well, if I tell this person that they're out of line, are they just going to, are their feelings going to get hurt? Are they going to storm out? Mm. Um, and I don't want to lose people. But at the same time, if I don't do it, then I'm violating the fundamental principle of the whole thing. So yeah. I get torn. And, and the worst, the worst is when I have two friends who are attacking each other. And then, and when that happens, I'll call on another moderator to do it actually, because I just can't bear it. It's just too much. That's a good strategy though. Just yeah. to, just to recuse yourself from it. Um, that's yeah. I, I, I don't envy that. <laughs> it's not fun. It's not good, but. I guess overall, because I'm in it almost four years now, and I, and I have to say, you know, thus far, I've had to leave, I've had to take two long breaks because I've just gotten too stressed out about the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, 
It'd be surprising, though, if you didn't ever get stressed out about it over four years, you know. That shows you. It shows you're invested, at least. Here's here's one thing. Here's one thing I thought you might be interested in. Since we're in the yeah, middle yeah. of all this racial, of this race, racial upheaval right now, mm-hmm. I thought about this before we had this talk. So, uh, at one point, uh, there was uh, during the, not this sort of period of police brutality. There was one a couple of years ago, and the racism topic came up in the group. And this is a really, really, really heated topic. That and uh, the Me Too movement have been the most heated topics that have come up over the last three years. There was a member, white member, who posted a photograph of a, a, a horrific lynching. Uh, I mean, I know it's, it's a redundancy to say a horrific lynching, but there was something about this photo, let me tell you, that was especially horrific. Uh, it was a lynching with a bunch of white people standing around with the with this sort of smug grins on their faces. And he posted it to say, um, just so we know what we're really talking about when we're talking about race, we need to really confront how horrific this history has been. So that was his motivation. It was like, coming from his perspective, um, this was a good thing to post. That's how he saw it. Gen- genuinely saw it. Look, we really need to look at this straight in the face for all of its horror and all of its ugliness. Yeah. Uh, one of the black members of the group saw mm. this and said, how dare you let him post this? These are real people. This isn't a game. This isn't some kind of, you know, abstract, you know, you know exercise. These are real people. This is how dare he was absolutely horrified by this. Yeah. And that collision of perspectives um, blew my entire mental and emotional fuse box. And I had to leave because I, so I immediately took the post down, took the picture away. The guy who posted it left the group because he was so hurt. Sure. Um, And so I felt like the guy who left was deeply hurt. I felt, conflicted about whether we should leave it up. I felt horrible because the African-American member of the group, who I love, who's a good friend of mine, his feelings were... So I felt wrenched in all these different directions over the situation. And my blood pressure went (laughs) through the roof. Yeah. All right, I'm out. I can't handle this. This is too much for me. Yeah. Be surprised how often these kinds of really difficult... um, moral sociological conflicts come up where there are no as a moderator you're in the crosshairs and there's no move you can make yeah it's going to be horrible yeah that i i honestly don't even know i don't know how i would have handled that i don't even know what the right move is honestly because it's like like i i it's like i just honestly i really see both people's perspectives there like I really do, and I I don't know what what to do there because I mean shit. It's like we do. I don't think that most people understand our history of that well enough. Like it's just it is. It, it's like I I don't I like I can't even. I'm I'm you know I'm losing the words right now to bring it up. Yeah, but but at the same time, it's like I get it that I don't know what a picture like that could induce emotionally 
Right. So, yeah. Right. I'm Jewish. I'm oh, Jewish. Okay. I'm not, I'm not practicing, but you know, mm -hmm. I, uh, ancestors died uh, in the World War II, and you know yeah. I, I've, I've been brought up on pictures of concentration camps, and you know all of those hor horrific images. Yeah. Now I can see, I can see a, a photo like that, and I've seen so many of them at this point. I can recognize, well, this is horrible, but I don't. It doesn't cause my heat meter to blow out for sure. some reason. So I, I looked at that photo, and my my first my quick take was, oh God, this is awful. I'm not sure. Yeah. But maybe it's okay, you know, maybe, but then again, you know, that was, my reaction was maybe I was imposing or projecting onto how I thought someone else might feel. So it's, you know, you just never really know, and you want to be sensitive to different people's perspectives. Yeah. Um, but to take it down, in a way, is accusing the person who posted it of being like borderline racist and even posting it. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. W would you be in favor of what what about maybe something like um I don't even know if Facebook allows this, but like could could you maybe like blur the image at first and then say like, you know, there there's graphic content here? Do you yeah, think that might be so, like a It's a great question. So, what wound up happening was that image, that's how the guidelines have been created over time, because of situations like this, precisely. So um, we, we created a new guideline about graphic images, mm -hmm. right? So up until that point, it hadn't even occurred to me. Yeah. It really hadn't occurred to me that somebody could post something that would be so offensive that, you know, it shouldn't be. So then we, we have a new guideline about not posting images that depict, you know, horrific, you know, physical violence or, yeah. or like you know, pornographic stuff like that for a variety of reasons. And there is a way to do it. Someone figured out a way to, I guess, post an image where you had to click in order to see it. Hmm. Like, I, I think, you know, there's some tech guy who was like, no, no, there's a way to do this where... Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I don't remember how. I'm really slow when it comes to a lot of this <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, but apparently there's a way. Okay. And I'd like to know. I mean, I, if there's a way to fuzz fuzz images out but yeah that was sort of the quick way of addressing i think we came up with that solution and then i said sayonara for about i think i left for six weeks yeah that point. that's i mean geez i i kind of you know even you just i didn't even see the image and that's a really tough one yeah <laughs> that i so so you um so okay would you be in so you change the guidelines about what images you can post if you could figure out a a reliable way to because obviously it goes through the moderation first but would it, you be in there we had no we weren't screening when that happened yeah but now i'm saying so yeah. if it goes through the moderation first would you be in favor of doing if you could set up that that you know tech hack or whatever where you have to click on a picture to see it would you would you allow stuff then oh absolutely okay okay yeah, I, I, I agree mean, with that yeah it, it would it would depend on the image so Sure. Uh, suffice it to say, um, an image that horrific at this point, if I saw something like that again, what I would do is I'd consult with the other moderators and I'd ask them what they thought because, yeah. you know, and I consult with them a lot um, because I don't, sometimes I don't even trust my own judgment uh, about stuff like this more often than not. I mean, there are a lot of very borderline cases where we, we have long conversations about 
the appropriateness of certain images or certain posts and stuff yeah. like this. It's really interesting. Like all these cases are, um, uh, yeah, somebody posted the other day about, um, someone posted about, I think whiteness, like, uh, I asked, saw that post. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and somebody replied with, you know, a kind of, um, uh, not really taking the post very seriously response yeah. and then posted a one minute video of, uh, a African-American guy on the sidewalk asking a white woman to bow down in front of him, bow down in front of him and beg for forgiveness. So that was his response to the question. It was sort of a, uh, kind of a jarring, let's just say, response to a question that was intended to, you know, ask white people to reflect upon, I don't know, their own whiteness. And he, he was, his response was, let's just say, dismissive, to put it mildly. Sure. Uh, but that video uh, seemed orchestrated. It seemed deliberate. It seemed like it may have been fake. He couldn't really tell. So, but in a way, it was kind of interesting. And so there was some dispute amongst the moderators as to whether or not to keep the image up. Some were in favor of it, some weren't. Um, but we often get images like this that uh, arouse um, a diverse uh, kind of range of opinions. Uh, and they're, yeah. they're hard to, and unfortunately, often it, it falls on me to make the final call. Mm. So it also, I have to take, I have to take the blame, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know. It's tough because I'm just thinking of, you know, it's, it's, you know, introspectively, it's, I don't know, actually, if I'm in a position to really actually have any insight on this, because there's nothing about who I am that can really cut in a way that I would imagine other aspects of who I could be would hurt in that way, if, if that was kind of a jumbled way of saying it. But like, I don't know for instance, like there's just nothing about me that that someone could attack that might induce the pain that, you know, if you had grandfathers or, you know, great grandfathers who were actual slaves, I, I cannot imagine what that experience would be like. And, you know, with that being said, I'm also uncomfortable with leaving it's weird because like I, I feel that like viscerally, but I'm also uncomfortable of leaving it up to almost arbitrary characteristics of individuals to determine what we can and can't post. Um, so it's I mean, it's this weird tension like you highlighted and I, I don't know the balance, but it's almost like I mean, it's 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 really tough. And it's actually like I, I I'm sort of I think I'm trying to admit that I I don't even know if I could be in a position to know the answer. <laughs> right um maybe there's no answer yeah that that's that's true yeah so i, I don't i really don't think there is and yeah. I, I think the 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 tendency and sort of the rule of thumb has been and this is something that i actually get criticized for mm. um to try to side with um to try to favor those who are stand to suffer the most so like in this case, it was like, you know, when my my, my friend, my black uh, male friend, who I, at the time I think was a moderator, when he flipped out about this, 
Mm. Um, you know, you weigh the costs and benefits. Okay, sure. well, he is deeply traumatized by seeing this image. What's the point of keeping the image up? Okay, so the white guy who posted it, he's trying to be helpful. But if, and if I take the image down, yeah, he, you know, he'll, you know, he will, he's going to be upset about it. Mm. But the trauma that he's going to suffer on balance, I felt, because I knew, I sort of knew both of these guys. Yeah. He'll get over his trauma, you know, I think fairly quickly. He'll recognize, well, this was in a, this may have been inappropriate, may have been. Sure. But my other friend, like, you know, the visceral reaction I got from him was so intense um, that uh, I just took it, I just took it down immediately because mm -hmm. I guess I just want to alleviate pain. This is a group that, you know, some people are going to feel just, this is the tension. Yeah. Wanna, we want to have a group where we can talk about things that are going to cause discomfort and are going to cause pain. On the other hand, sometimes you have to make these judgment calls, right, um, where you almost have to, yeah, it's a bit of an art and a bit of a juggling act because you have to draw lines that in a way um, subvert the, 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 fun, the, the, the governing principle of the group um, to satisfy certain sensitivities within the group. Yeah. So, um, there are these very, very difficult judgment calls that come up all the time where there are no clear answers and you have to just sort of, I have to sort of go with my gut informed by what the other moderators think. Yeah. But the way these are the most interesting cases that can come up. Things that involve language, battles over certain terms, battles over certain expressions. We had a whole thing about the term mansplain early on in the group, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got you've got women who and men who will, will cop to it. This is a real phenomenon. Oh men, yeah, right. But if you say to a man you're mansplaining when he's voicing an opinion that you disagree with, you've destroyed the entire conversation. You, you <laughs> yep. Talk. So it's not helpful, even if it's true. Yeah. So, but it's a real phenomenon. Of, of, of course, it can so, be true. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Uh, so where do you, how do you negotiate these problems where, where do you fall? I mean, there, there's just no clear uh, cut way of dealing with it. So we're constantly as a group and as the moderators having to engage in these very complex and nuanced and um, charged, deeply charged. I mean, people leave. We make a decision. People say, all right, screw you guys. I'm out. No matter what. No matter what side we fall on. Yeah. Um, and uh, But they're interesting. You know, this is a very interesting cultural time uh, right now where, where all of these things are being coughed up. And uh... Yeah. No, I, I, I think we're, we're living in sort of... I don't know what it will be called in in the uh, in the history of books to be written, but it's going to be the age of something. I'm pretty sure of that. Well, you know, there are a lot of people. It's a, a, a lot of people within this small kind of ecosystem um, who are doing things like fair game. Mm -hmm. Like you know, there there are a bunch of books that have been written. Uh, uh, Bogosian and I think yes. Lindsay, they came up came out with a book called Impossible Conversations. Yeah, yeah. I had Bogosian on to talk about that actually. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. It was a really, it's a great book. If you haven't read it, I would, I would really yeah. recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I have a, I would show you, I have about a three foot tall stack of books about civil discourse. You know, this is a subject right. I'm really interested in. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are writing about this now. A lot of people are trying to figure out ways to kind of wedge their way into these divisions and try to find ways to negotiate them and smooth out some of the sort of the conflict and antagonism between these two groups. Uh, I never thought I'd be doing this. I started this group just because I was pissed off that people were behaving badly. Yeah. And through all these kind of weird contortions, I became fascinated with this topic. Um, and I think it's, it, it I, uh, you know, what I see, there is so much anger right now out there and there's so much hate, Jordan. You see it. You see it. You look at what's happening in the streets. Yeah. In the country right now, people are setting buildings on fire. Yeah. We've got, I mean, horrific things are happening in this country. And as I'm watching this unfold, I worry. Um, about where this is heading. I, I'm not, I, don't, I have a bad feeling. I, I hate to say it. Um, and we need to figure out a way to deal with each other. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Diplomatic, compassionate way. Or else, <sighs> let's just leave it at that. We have to find a way to do it. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and honestly, I mean, you know, I... I I actually think that sometimes, you know, it's it's weird. Obviously, you want the group to grow and I want the group to grow. But but at the same time, there's also kind of a beauty to a medium-sized sort of thing like that. You know, it's 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 not small enough where you know everyone in the group, but it's right. not big enough that it's completely anonymized either. And I think, you know, to be honest, there's actually a really niche and important place for things like that. Um which is obviously not to say that I hope the group doesn't grow. I, I hope it does. And and anyone who's listening to this, um, I would really encourage them to uh, to join the group. Um, and I want to be more active in it um, from now on. Um, if it gets too big, I don't know what will happen. I mean, you're right, yeah. right? Now it's kind of a nice size. If we get too many people um, trying to join it, we may have to start like just turning people down because it needs to stay manageable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Um, like Right now, the size is fine, and it's it's running really well. Um, having more people who can, I mean, look, if, if we had 10,000 people and they could all follow the guidelines, all the better. <laughs> the problem is but a lot of people can't do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough endeavor. Um, but I'm realizing that we're coming up on two hours and okay. like genuinely, John, thank you so much for talking to me because you, you give for- me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like a totally new framework to evaluate certain questions. So, yeah, thank you so much. And um, before we before we uh, uh, leave, just tell people um, how they can join the group and any other information uh, about you that, that you want to share. Uh, well, um, it's not hard. Just, you know, if you're on Facebook, just run a search for Fair Game. Yep. <laughs> should come up. The symbol are it's a it's a sculpture. Um, of two hands, a male hand and a female hand, uh, reaching over a checkerboard. And it says in Spanish, necesitamos hablar, we need to talk. Um, and so you'll see that little image next to fair game. Uh, there's some questions that you would have to answer. Um, and then that's about it. Yeah. All right, John, thank you again. Yeah. Take care. Well, I hope you found that conversation useful and um, maybe even entertaining as well. And if you would like to support the work that I'm doing by making these podcasts, you can do so by going to patreon.com 
forward slash Jordan Myers. You can also share this show on Twitter or social media and help more people find out about it. That would be um, a great service to me because I think these conversations are worth having and worth hearing. Um, You can also rate it on Apple Podcasts or on whatever um, podcast player that you use. That would be um, equally valuable. You can like this video on YouTube or subscribe on YouTube or on an RSS feed. You can discuss it on your own show and credit, um, you know, back towards me um, in the description. And you can also connect with me to recommend guests or topics to cover. Um, And you can get in contact with me through various avenues. You can email me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter or talk with me there at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers. And as always, um, that will be in the description below this video. And more importantly, as always, thank you for listening and for continuing to struggle to escape the cave. Thank you, and tune in next time. Plato's Cave is produced by Muckraker Media. You can find out more at muckrakermedia.org.